Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to the Your Truth is Calling podcast. So last week, um, I think it was episode 19, I spoke about my experience having a home birth with my first son and how that experience played out going from inexperience, not even having heard about home births, it wasn't even in my consciousness, to then having that support um, from, you know, having put up a prayer to Allah saying, I don't know what to do. I feel like I have obstacles here um, because I had rejections from the hospitals that I did put in an application to and wanted to have my baby there. And they said, sorry, we're full or sorry, you're not in the zone to give birth here. Um, and that unknown phase where you really just have to surrender because you don't have answers. It's a really beautiful space to, to practice that relationship with surrendering and really trusting in something bigger than you, right? And so when you're in that unknown phase and you've asked for help, you have to understand that the prayer has been answered in a way, right? So you're really receptive to the answer showing up in your environment. And I just trusted what I got in response. So I said to God, like, I don't know what to do. And I got a voice back. And usually, you know, like that is the voice of your intuition. It's, it speaks softly, it speaks first. And my particular voice said, don't do anything. And so I didn't worry about where to have my baby. In my inbox showed up this, you know, uh, subject line saying birth power workshop. And that was the introduction to even having knowledge about what a home birth is and the support available and that there is another way to do this, right? So that took me on an adventure, right? And so I want you to think about your life and at times when you have had roadblocks or have been running into walls and not known the answer, what is your default response? Do you expect that uh, do you have great expectations that you will be looked after? So that is really kind of feeding back to you how much you trust life, right? I have over time developed an enormous trust in life. So I, it has allowed me to take risks, um, but that's probably just part of my personality as well. Um, I do, you know, reach the end of a cycle and then ask myself, okay, what now? What next? Because it feels like the way I've done this thing, yeah, I have extracted whatever I could from this. I am being called to something else. You know, that was the same call that got me into like going and studying in an Islamic seminary for three years. And so I just want you to think about that and reflect on that as I tell you the story of my second birth. I thought we'll continue this theme of, about birth because I feel like birth um, and life in general, like lessons for life, it, they're connected. There's so much that you can learn from it. My second um, experience of having a home birth wasn't all rosy. Um, I know that um, one of my clients, she messaged me saying, oh, it like, you know, that she had um, had dreams of having a home birth as well. It's it's so romantic as an idea. Um, but I was just letting her know, you know, it, was all, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Um, and so this particular experience, I probably was about 29 years old. And now if you're in that 29 to 30 uh, years old age bracket, you go through something called a Saturn return, which is usually um, where in the big scheme of things, if you look at planetary influences as well, it really tends to be um, a phase in your life where you could be tested, right? You, It's, it's like this... Uh, 
urge and calling in life to like grow up okay so whatever the grow up message from the universe is to you from life to you is you'll probably experience that at about that phase in your life and um, it's tough Um, and, and for some people obviously you know they'll get tested at other times as well but this particular phase it will really reveal to you whether or not you're living your values so for me um, I had been on a trajectory of, you know, uh, doing p- a business in a particular way. It was all about like everything being high end. I was investing in, in, in that way, but also charging in that way. And it, it worked for a time until it didn't work. Right. And so things that I was putting out, like they weren't selling as I expected to. I had a failed launch and I thought, okay, the money from this thing is going to, you know, be able to fund whatever expenses were coming up and I was short and at the same time my husband was in a phase where his next contract wasn't lined up and there was a gap of like work not being there from when one contract wrapped up right it wasn't like a permanent role so it put us into a financial bind and that was where we got really tested and I thought okay with this second baby because home birth you know there's obviously a budget that you need to set aside for it probably five to six grand or so when you think of the whole scheme of things And I felt like, wow, like I can't prioritize this right now. Let me just enter the hospital system. So I ended up applying to the very hospital where in my first birth, I got a complete gut no to because it was still my local hospital, even though we had moved house. Uh, we were closer to this hospital and also they had finished renovations and they had this new birth wing and everything opened up. And so um, I didn't contact my previous midwife I just went straight to the hospital system and just went went along with their process it was very very different there was a lot of waiting times you know waiting to be seen you know being there with like bright lights and all these machines beeping because it just depends on what wing you're you know like literally waiting to see someone or waiting to either have an ultrasound or, or something or the other so What happened with this was I went through that system until I had a meeting or an appointment with like a general consultant, they call themselves. So not a GP, um, but like someone who was overseeing the birth process. And when she had heard that I'd had a home birth previously, she was so dismissive. There was absolutely no regard um, for, you know, anything to do with what my past experience was that I had confidence in the process or anything. Um, and she had two students who I remember them touching my belly to either figure out where the baby was or something in terms of the position and the hands were really cold and it sort of, you know, it jolts you and it lacked that warmth that I had with the home birthing process and my midwife coming home and seeing me and things like that. And I really missed that. And in my head, I made up a story that, well, I can't have that as an option. My resources are limited in, in this phase of my life. So what happened um, was I was telling myself a story, but inside I just knew again, this wasn't right. Like something wasn't right. And um, very last minute, I did call out to my midwife who was there for my first baby's birth and I reached out to her and I had to explain the situation um, that you know I went through the hospital system um, but I feel like 
you know what, for the second baby, I need to go through a home birth as well because it's just not working. The whole hospital system and my body, we don't gel together. Um, And so she was really curious about why it was that I didn't contact her straight away. And I had to be just really vulnerable and explain, you know, uh, some stuff that I hadn't processed with her and talk about talked about with her from my first birth. Um, and so she was able to go, okay, um, you know, let's reevaluate and do things differently this time. And I was able to just put things on the table and there was so much grace and so much support just from telling the truth of the situation. Like she met me where I was. She was able to give me a payment plan. Uh, she reduced her fee. Um, she said, well, you don't actually need a doula just so we can reduce our costs here. And I am so grateful for her having that sense of sensitivity and just heart and warmth to meet me where I was, right? And that's what happens when you get honest and vulnerable with what actually is the situation for you as opposed to tippy-toeing around it. And I remember having this consult with her and she came home and I was just in tears because I was so stressed. Uh, but I knew that um, we'll come through it, but she, she was able to tell me it's okay, it's going to be okay, we can do this, you know? And that gave me a lot of hope. And I feel like um, for a lot of um people either going through a birthing process or any kind of support that you're wanting, whether it's in the business or in life and an emotional thing that you need help with, like there's people in the wings who are wanting to support you. Maybe the thing that you haven't done is to speak up. You haven't spoken up and said that this is what's going on. So people haven't been able to meet you halfway. And that's probably where the lesson is for you. Um, It's like, where are we hiding? Where are we hiding our vulnerability Um, and thinking that we're strong and that we can handle this ourselves? Because I hadn't told anybody about my situation and it happened to be my midwife who got to hear that part of my journey and that struggle uh, that I was experiencing. And I felt seen and I felt witnessed even if I didn't have the courage to tell other people um, what I was going through. And so I have a lot of respect for that profession because um, I feel like, you know, it, it hasn't, like capitalism hasn't touched that home birthing process and um, where women uh, connect with other women. You know, it's, it feels like that, um, for me at least, in, in my own witnessing of that process, Um, it's like women's business and it'll always be women's business. And, um, there is a nurturing and a sense of, um, service, uh, that's there above money and above capitalism. So, I mean, I know that with uh, regulations and everything, it has made that industry, um, really struggle because of all the rules and, and the liabilities that they have to, um, you know, assess and all the risk factors and everything. So it really sometimes puts really good people out of business because they can't deal with all the red tape and the bureaucracy. Um, and the. I feel like sometimes it's an unfair burden that you put on a system like that, you know, um, where it just makes it impossible for them to operate. But that was my um, part of the story and, and how I navigated it. 
So let's look at the actual birth. This was different. Um, I was actually overdue with this baby. He did not come on his due date. And I think I knew why. Like I was very stressed with this pregnancy. Uh, I was going through like a spiritual awakening. I felt like in this phase of my life, like I turned back to God. You know, that uh, quality of redemption where you do your thelba and you start praying again. Uh, and maybe you were very distant from the religion and distant from the deen. I felt like there was something in me that was crumbling. Like my ego was just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And like you die before you die kind of thing. I had that experience. And after that experience, it was like I was just never the same. Never the same. Um, and so I feel like sometimes you're gifted these experiences. It looks like an absolute darkening, you know, dark night of the soul, <laughs> crisis, turbulence you know, turbulence plus plus, where you really feel like you're, you're being squeezed, you're being crushed <laughs> because you're needing to be made into somebody else because who you were being up until that point is not the same person who can continue like this. Um, and I feel like God is actually quite merciful in that sense to give you these tests because he knows it's not going to break you. It's going to make you stronger. But when you're going through it, you are going through it. It's not pretty. <laughs> I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Um, but I did come out the other side. And so this there was a trust process of the fact that my baby was about two weeks overdue and I knew I didn't want to get induced because I was very much into like natural birth, no drugs, no um, artificial chemicals or anything um, to take for my baby. I even um, went with like, I did the first ultrasound. And then after that, I refused ultrasounds. I would just be checked um, with a very like, uh, like, yeah, like the, the midwife actually having to uh, touch my belly and figure out where the baby was and that sort of thing without having to just go for unnecessary um, ultrasounds during the pregnancy. But because um in this particular process, my little, oh, I had obviously my firstborn, um, he had gone to, it could have been my mum's or my sister's house uh, when I, I went into labor because I felt like I just wanted myself and my midwife and my husband to be there. Um, and anyway, my husband had to bring back um, my little guy, who's probably about like two and a half by then and um, put him to bed in our house and I thought okay I'll continue with the labor and my labor was very short it was like from 8 30 at night I probably went into labor texted my midwife that my contractions had started I had an app um, and I was like keeping track of things and then by like midnight my baby arrived or just after midnight but the problem is when it was time to push my two and a half year old suddenly had this urge to see me and said, I want to see mommy and this and that. And I got a bit freaked out because I, in my birth plan, I didn't um, kind of have a plan for my older one to be there. I didn't want him to be there while I was giving birth to my <laughs> second boy. And uh, I don't know, I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, everything. It, we always kept it a surprise. And so because I heard this pitter patter down the stairs and my husband like trying to keep him away, I pushed the baby out of sync with my rhythms of the contraction. So I experienced a birth where I put a lot of pressure on the baby. And um, I remember when he came out, he had like a little bit of like a bloodshot eye, probably just from the pressure of pushing. 
and also what happened was because of the way I pushed and it was out of sync with my natural rhythms, I strained. And because of that, when the baby came out, he was also a big baby because obviously he had extra time, obviously, in the womb. Um, he knocked out my tailbone. And so I come out of this experience wondering, wow, why is it so painful? I can't sit. I couldn't uh, function. Like I remember having to take my older one to, um, I had him in uh, this place called Cloda Cottage, which was a neighborhood house. And they had a little uh, daycare sort of setting, which like which, with just eight kids. And it was such a beautiful, cozy place. In order to just drive from my home to that place to drop him off, like I literally couldn't sit. I was like on one bum cheek, you know, trying to drive and it was an excruciating experience. I didn't realize how injured I was until that point. But subhanAllah, you know, like God puts, I think, these experiences in your life because there's some good app that comes out of it. And so what happened was when my, the maternal nest, you know, came home to visit, she ended up telling me, oh, you know, there's this chiropractor of mine uh, who's really helped me. And she knew I was very emotional um, after that birth. I had a lot of, yeah, like trauma um, just from stress to deal with. And she said, you know, she does this particular technique. Um, you might benefit from that. And she gave me her name. And and so I ended up going to her, trying to just, you know, have x-rays, get my tailbone fixed up so I could sit again. Um, and eventually that led me to have chiropractic care as just part of a well-being strategy, right? It became something that I do like every five weeks or so I would go to see my chiropractor um, and just make sure everything's working, like making sure all those electromagnetic signals on the spine, um, they're firing, right? And, and my chiropractor does cranial work as well. So if there's hormones out of balance or anything like that, she's able to get in there. Um, and I changed chiropractors by then because I found that getting to like Camberwell was a bit of a distance for me. Um, and it was just getting, like, you know how when it, if, if you make something that you want to do as a habit hard for you, you're not going to be able to follow through. So I realized um, it was time to change. And I somehow got guided to my current chiropractor just from another mom at my boy's kindergarten. I happened to be in the line and uh, this woman was raving about her chiropractor. And I was like, I need to meet your chiropractor more for my husband. At the time, I was wanting to um, see, have my husband go see uh, the particular chiropractor. And then he said, I think you should see her because <laughs> by my third birth, um, my third son's pregnancy, I, I again had trouble, uh, during, uh, the, the actual carrying of him because I felt like, uh, my body just needed extra care and, uh, something happened with my hip and I couldn't walk. It was very painful. Um, it happened. I can't remember probably uh, when I must've been, I don't know, three to four months pregnant and, and she was able to fix it for me so I could walk again. So, you know, like uh, you go through sometimes health crises and um, little things like that where you start to like really appreciate your body. And this particular instance with the second birth, I learned about life actually being there to support you, being vulnerable, being open with your struggles so that people can meet you halfway and actually support you. Um, and it felt like, you know, angels in the wings with people showing up. I had my cousin 
uh, all my cousins actually, I reached out and said, hey, I'm feeling really low. Can you guys come over and help me get this house ready for the birth? And like all of them showed up. I felt like I wasn't even like ready for them <laughs> um, because I think we were moving house um, at a particular point after I'd had that second baby and uh, they just all rocked up willing to help. And so it's sometimes you just getting outside of your comfort zone to ask for help and really spending time figuring out like what kind of help do I need right now? And people actually do want to help you. Sometimes we just don't know how. Uh, so it's just, you know, just saying, hey, I'm really struggling. Sometimes that's just one sentence you can say, I'm really struggling. And then let people ask you, hey, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, what can I do to help? And then when they say, what can I do to help? Have a list of things that you want help with because people can help in different ways. Some people can physically come there and spend time with you and help. Other people could probably, you know, get some groceries and get it delivered to your door uh, so that you don't have to leave and they don't have to leave what they're doing, but they can support you that way. So, yeah, and I had sometimes, like, friends from uni um, because my husband ended up getting a contract, but it was really um, quite a, a funky work situation where they expected crazy hours and it, it that contract lasted for a bit where he would come back very late at night. And when you have a new baby and then, you know, um, your support person is only coming in at like 8, 8.30 at night. It, it just puts a strain on you. So you can't really rest. Um, and so at those times, I remember just texting some of my uni friends and saying, hey, can I have you guys come over and like help babysit my older one so I could just be with the baby? And I had my friend, you know, Abby, um, he came and, and took my older one, took him to the park, <laughs> played some games with him, spent some time and then dropped him back and things like that, like little things that people can do. You just have to be courageous enough to go to just ask, ask for help, right? So if you got nothing else from today, it's the being honest about what's going on, asking for help and letting people meet you when they say like, how can I help? Having maybe a list of three or four things um, of how someone could help and then or if you don't know, just say, could we brainstorm together about what I need? I'm having a struggle figuring out what I need, right? Um, and that whole experience was really humbling for me. It really taught me empathy. It taught me about what I value in life, um, about how I would want to support someone if they had a new baby, because it it taught me how much um, it meant to me when certain people did show love and care and in the ways they showed care like whether it was you know bringing a whole big bucket of chicken soup home or getting all the onesies because I wasn't able to go get it or what whatever it was uh, people supported me in different ways so, so your risk um, abundance even if if it's really squeezed or tight um, notice those glimmers of hope where it is expanding. And it was so funny um, in my first, but I was so into entrepreneurship and everything. I didn't even know that there was like government support for when you have a new baby and things like that. I had no idea. Like my consciousness wasn't even open to that. So when I could have received support or applied for, you know, like a parenting payment or something like that. So whilst you're having the baby, you have some support. Like I didn't even apply for it because I didn't know about it, you know? So it's really interesting how, like, I don't even know if with, with, a, with that second baby, I even knew about it. I think only with my third baby that I, 
even knew that there was something like that. So it's just that, um, yeah, like if you're not talking to people or if you're not, because at that time I didn't have my friends who had babies, nobody around me, had, you know, um, talked about those sorts of things. So it just wasn't in my awareness. So do your research, um, look at ways in which you can get help and support. I knew that um, with my first baby as well, I never went to mother's group. I felt like, I think one of my qualities was because I went through a home birth and I felt like I was a bit of a hippie. <laughs> you know, I didn't even have uh, like disposable nappies. I used cloth nappies with that first baby and my doula came home once to check on me and she's like, what are you doing? You are so overwhelmed. You can get these nappies called Toms, you know, they're biodegradable because I was all about the environment and everything. And so she said, it's okay, Nadara, you don't have to do everything perfectly. <laughs> Um, cause I, I literally felt like a basket woman, like, cause I would, you know, have a cloth nappy in there and all the sets. And I feel like, um, I got the letter about going to mother's group and I just went, uh, I can't leave the house. Like I can't even think of going there. So I never formed those connections, um, with that posse. I was quite isolated. So I would say just looking back, like, don't isolate yourself, um, like get in with other people in community right so um let me know in the comments in my dms or if you have my whatsapp number message me and let me know how this episode touched you and um what you took out of it um and if you know someone who's having a baby think about some of the things that i said here and some people might not tell you, you know, if they need help because they don't know how to ask and there's this feeling of, I can't ask, you know? So sometimes it's having that sensitivity and empathy to go, let me reach out if I know that someone's pregnant and just about to have a baby, um, to check in on each other. Um, once I was at my um, community center and the lady there, Sister Sarah was like, you know, we don't visit each other anymore. Or much uh, and we've lost that art of dropping in on each other and visiting each other because if you were to visit uh, you would pick up on nuances and conversations to know how a family is doing and whether uh, they're overwhelmed or whether they're mentally strong at that point in their life or whether they just need a bit more emotional support from the people around them and so it's, it's you know like it's a message to myself as well to revive that tradition because I know I don't know whether it's a Sri Lankan thing or a Sri Lankan girl thing I always feel like I'm disturbing someone if I pick up the phone and just call them before texting them you know like I'd want to always text before I call uh, and I'm quite a hermit so normally when my phone rings I usually don't answer it it just goes to voicemail and then I return the call when I have the space. Uh, whereas I know that in Sri Lanka and stuff, like when we had landlines, I know we have landlines here, but we, like, I don't even know my number, right? And I know some people have just gotten rid of landlines altogether. You have your internet and you have your mobile phone. So uh, yeah, like I feel like we just need to revive these things and checking on each other, dropping on each other and not feel like we're bothering people when we do that, right? I, th I feel like um, people would actually welcome that and the more spontaneous drop-ins instead of 
making it a do like oh people were having a tea party or we're having a dinner and that's when you you come in you you know what if we just dropped in on each other we used to do that in sri lanka all the time like on a sunday or uh you know like even midweek in the evening you would drop in on your cousins or something that was a done thing and slowly slowly with the way we live now um unfortunately we don't keep that up so let me know what you got out of this episode i am planning so many exciting things for the weeks to come um in terms of having this feeling of like wanting to get together and uh meet with you online and and go through like what your struggles are what what you're bumping up against um because i feel like i work best also with small groups because i feel like when we all share our bits and bobs we get things from each other and i have a knack for listening to the themes in the collective like this collective listening ear um and then i reflect back uh things to the group and i feel like we all go much higher and stronger from that reflection process um and also just being witnessed by a group and being validated in that and um yeah it's just really really powerful so keep your ears peeled uh when i make an announcement about when that will be and how to interact i'm going through a period of metamorphosis of all the things that have happened in the last couple of years you know how like sometimes it's just divine timing and, and the timing is ripe um to rebrand or create something new i feel like after about 3 years of like just putting things out there and experimenting because i was also in that seminary so when i was there like i didn't have a lot of time to dedicate to working on the business you know i would see a client here and there but not have thinking time or reflection time uh for all these other pieces that just needed time for um me to have a relationship with it for anything even if it's a, a non-living thing you have to have a relationship with the thing right for it to grow and flourish so just something to keep in mind if if you're someone who's creative and you're <laughs> communing with the muse to see you know what's alive and 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 what is ready to be expressed in the world because obviously sometimes you're in an inward phase where things are brewing and cooking inside but it's not ready to be served to the public um but when it's cooked and it's had time to marinate and go into the oven and it's ready then you can make your announcement yeah so anyway assalamu alaikum everybody i hope you enjoyed listening to this episode um let me know again what you want more of and um i can't wait till i see you again in the next episode Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh